0: It's another episode of Where You Are, and I am your host, Jimmy Ellenberg. Thank you so much for joining me again. Recently, I sat down for a Zoom interview with Sam Badger, a young man running for Tuscaloosa City Council District 5. Sam lives in Alberta City and attends the University of Alabama, where he majors in political science and economics. At the age of 19, Sam Took the initiative to run for office so that he could represent his community. I found him on Facebook Live one day, where he often makes impromptu live videos highlighting his daily experiences knocking on doors in Alberta City. Over the course of his campaign, he has logged hours listening to his fellow residents describe the problems and concerns they have, everything from infrastructure to public safety to economic development. I was struck. By the power of his message and by his tirelessness. This is what we need more of in this world, if you ask me. Principled, passionate people willing to run for local offices in order to represent the real needs of their communities. The election is on March the 2nd, and I think Sam has a fighting chance because he is building strong relationships and name recognition by getting out there, putting in the legwork. He also has endorsements from West Alabama Labor and the UAW Local 112 Mercedes. He challenges Kip Tyner, who has held the seat for more than 20 years. If you would like to learn more about Sam after listening to this interview, you can catch him on Facebook Live, or his website, recently launched, is badger4citycouncil.com. That's the number four, Number badger4citycouncil.com. There you will find the ways you can donate to his campaign if you are so inclined. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Sam Badger, candidate for Tuscaloosa City Council District 5. Hey, Sam, how are you? It's nice to meet you. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my little podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I listened to uh, one of the episodes. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Good. Thank you for that. I have been keeping up with you on Facebook Live. I know it looks like I was stalking you, but I was I was doing research, okay? <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I enjoy all the support. How, how's your day going so far?
1: Pretty good. I haven't done a ton. I've been trying to get, you know, yard signs finished, spray painting them and, and that sort of thing.
0: So you and some people are just making those yourselves, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I had like a a couple nice volunteers come in and we were making them ourselves. The county Democratic Party actually lended me old signs. Dexter Lowry, who's the chair of the county party, he said, you know, we got all these old Biden-Harris signs, you know, Doug signs and this sort of thing. And apparently back in Dexter's union days, he used to take a paint roller and they would paint white over the signs and then they would spray paint them and make a new sign next election cycle so you know we figured it would be cheaper and i really like how they're coming out too because it's it's a very industrial look because of the spray paint and some of the imperfections and i think it's also kind of symbolic of the movement in general and and the type of you know organizing and, and action that we're taking so i don't know i'm happy with them
0: that's great let's jump right in then so what you called it a movement how would you describe that movement yeah, so I think you have to break it down to its
1: fundamental level. And, and the fundamental thing, and this is true of municipal government all around the nation, there is an understanding that the government can't do anything for you. These institutions are not able or lack the funding to make your life better. And by make your life better, I mean, you know, quality infrastructure, quality housing, safety, and and this sort of thing. Basically, the current paradigm in municipal government is like a a passive administrator in which, you know, I'm here to make this more efficient. I'm here to sign off on liquor licenses. I'm here to rubber stamp this, rubber stamp that. Not really activist mentality. And, And I think that's what this is about. Making sure that people understand, and and the next time that they need something from their municipal government, they have a bigger ask. It's about opening up different possibilities for what we think municipal government can do for us. And look, like folks were responding to my stuff on Facebook, and they were saying like, your ideas are too radical. Like what? Like like more streetlights, more more (laughs) some more speed bumps. Like maybe maybe clean up some of the abandoned overgrown lots. I mean this stuff. I mean this stuff has been done. You know, yeah. this isn't this isn't like communist stuff. This is like <laughs> stuff that's been happening in, in American cities, like in
0: the, the 20th century. Sure. And it's happening in certain areas, but not in others. I mean, I look at the list. I, I wrote a list up of your sort of talking points after your door knocking that involves infrastructure, public safety and economic development. That's not radical. No, it's not, not radical there. unless you're talking about doing it in areas or places where it hasn't normally been done or where they're lagging behind. I want to talk to you as someone who is later in my life, starting to become fascinated with the idea of eventually maybe running for office. You're much more of an, I'm, I, I feel comfortable talking to people one-on-one, but the, the amount of energy and the kind of extroverted personality it takes to go knock on doors, do you, is that just something you're naturally good at? I mean, how do you, what does that look like? You get up early well, in the morning and just go out, knock on doors. So there is like a, like, I'm just a naturally
1: more extroverted person. My mom would always make fun of me, you know, because back in high school, I used to have to go to like, I don't know, banquets because I was on the student radio station. So I'd have to go to a banquet. And then like before the banquet, I would be like super tired and like, oh, I don't really want to go. But then I get to the banquet and all the people are there and I'm like, oh, hey, what's, what's going on? So I think there is a, an aspect to that. And like when I first started doing it, it's also it's very scary because it's like you, you don't know these people. But then, like, once you start talking to them, it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're all the same. You know, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. It depends on the areas you're knocking in as well. I've knocked in some rough neighborhoods.
0: What is your, your icebreaker house- when, when they come to the door? What do you
1: say? I mean, it depends on what you're doing. Like, like I've done door knocking for Bernie Sanders in Nevada. I went to Vegas uh, oh, wow. last year before the, the Nevada caucus. And, like, I would go on those doors, and they had a specific ask for us, like, what's your plan to get to the caucus site tomorrow? So that was more specific, like voter mobilization. But now basically I just say, hi, you know, I'm Sam Badger. I'm, I'm running for city council in your district. I just wanted to introduce myself. Here's a flyer. My name's on top in case you forget. Election's March 2nd. And you, you kind of just, you, you spit out the information you want them to remember. And then I would always ask, what do you think could be improved in the neighborhood? Because again, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what this is about. It's not about Sam Badger winning a selection. it's about the city getting better quality of life. I've gotten some stink eyes, you know, because they're friends with Kip or whatever, and, it, and I still ask them, I still ask them, what do you
0: think could be improved in the neighborhood? What are the kinds of, I mean, I've listened to you, but for people who are listening to this podcast, what are some of the things that people are bringing up to you, telling you that are problems that they would like to see fixed in that District 5? General...
1: Neglect of infrastructure, I think, is the most important and easiest thing to address. You know, I would knock on areas where very tightly packed streets, lower income area. And, you know, I knock on a door and they say, well, it's pitch black at night. We've been asking for streetlights here for years. Or they would say like theft is very high and burglary is very high in a lot of these neighborhoods. Especially because there are no, there aren't usually like closed garages. You know, the cars are just kind of on the, the right. driveway. So, like, you see a lot of break ins to cars and lights, like street lights deter that because right. you can see better. So, you know, folks would be like, hey, you know, this got robbed from my house. So I've been asking for a street light. I've talked to folks and I get nothing back. Same thing goes with speed bumps. Pretty much every, especially like the the older folks and then folks with children, the speed bumps. A lot of these areas, it's just the traffic's coming in so hot and the streets are so tight in some of these areas too. And it's just not safe. It's just not safe for kids. This is why we see alienation and higher rates of crime. It's, it's like there's nothing to do. You know? <laughs> you know, It's not safe to go on the streets. It's an impoverished home. Maybe there's you know, tension in the household or struggle paying the bills and that sort of thing. And yeah. that's why we see folks turning to crime. And then the cycle perpetuates itself. You know? Right.
0: You know, I lived in Alberta City probably 20 years ago. And uh, I didn't know about the tennis court that you talk about. I didn't know that they had. Yeah. Like, it's not in the exact
1: same spot as where the basketball court was. Okay. And what I'm talking about, of course, is in that park.
0: I would help out, but I might Alberta my mom, State there.
1: Park or Alberta Skate Park. It's like, there's a skate park, uh, Alberta Parkway and there's like a tennis center. So think of the symbolism for a second. There used to be a basketball court in that area, not exactly the same spot. It's not like they took down the basketball court and then put it up on the same lot. But, you know, the police station is nearby to this area. And for some reason, even though the police station is right there, there were severe complaints from the police that there was too much bad stuff whatever, you know, that means. I don't know if they're talking about drugs. I don't know if they're talking about a fight or something. Oh. Uh, there's too much bad stuff going on at this basketball court and they took it down and they,
0: it's gone now. They put in a, a tennis center. You know? yeah, and you've uh, heard about that from residents. It's not just, yes, you. Yes, no, yeah, I didn't absolutely. even know that was a thing until residents told me that. I just wanted to clarify that because, yeah, I mean, they're actually telling you, hey, that's kind of crazy and messed up, you know? Yeah. No, you cannot have a more perfect picture
1: of like gentrification than than, yeah. <laughs> than a basketball court that's free
0: to attend being replaced with a, uh, a hey, tennis center. I think a lot of people don't understand what gentrification is. and And yeah. so sometimes that's a hard sell to fight against gentrification. How would you explain gentrification to well, just your average person? It's very hard. Cause even
1: like, if you look up a Google definition it's like still pretty complex. Yeah. But I guess on its, on its most basic level, it is when there is development in a, it's typically cities and municipal areas. So there's development in a city, like, I don't know, let's say they built a new stadium, you know, a new football stadium in Alberta city. So because this football stadium is here, the area is more attractive so the rents go up because the property values go up and the the landlords can get away with raising rents and because of this process the lower income people who already live there in those apartments oftentimes are booted out because they can't you know afford the new rents based on the new property value then you see like a gradual replacement and and keep pushing the poorer and poorer people back further away from the city center. And, and it's kind of a process like that. And then, you know, there's also a racial aspect as well, redlining and that sort of thing.
0: Don't you think a lot of times, I think what happens with people is they get, some people get excited and they go, oh, for instance, if there's a football stadium and now, oh, look, Alberta City is getting a football stadium. That's great. Yeah. That's going to be great for business. That's going to be great but I don't think people see behind the scenes as to everybody getting pushed further and further and further away. Yeah. Yeah. You're not no, and, and it's, that, this is why it's such a,
1: a difficult problem, because you do want development. Like, 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 say that, you know, I'm elected and then we get the streetlight, speed bumps and, you know, sidewalks or whatever we want. And infrastructure wise, that would increase the property value, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that would potentially cause some kind of gentrification. But that's why you have to know this going in, and you have to be mindful of that. That's why when you know we're talking about development in Alberta City, like I don't think we need more student apartments. Right. <laughs> I want to see more people owning their homes, you know, because then when the property value goes up, <laughs> then it actually helps them, right? Yeah, it's if you're a homeowner, it actually helps you. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to if you're a, a tenant. So th- you know that's that's the type of change that we need to see. And, and the, the problem is like there's so much vested interest in keeping gentrification on the same track because like if you go to an Alberta city, like half of folks don't even own their home. They're all renting. And do you think the landlord lives in Alberta? I'll give you two guesses. <laughs> no, they don't. So they would actually be very happy, you know, if the property value went up because then they can charge their tenants more. It's just it's a very tough problem.
0: What do you see as the course, let's say you're elected and then you're, you're now you're on the council. How do you go about enacting that change? I'm sure it's difficult. I think the easiest thing would be the infrastructure. I think, you know, left,
1: right, center, whatever you want. I I don't think anyone can say with a straight face, like, no, (laughs) the streets should not be safe. Like, I don't don't think that (laughs) is a thing. Now, there might be some, you know, groaning and moaning about, oh, we can't afford this or whatever, but it's like the city has been running a very low deficit for a while. We don't have a ton of debt. So yeah, I think I could work with other folks on the council in that aspect. And also I want to say like, and this is what I'm saying. It's a movement and not me because I want to, you know, if I'm proposing something like, let's say I'm in the the public works committee or projects committee, excuse me. And you know, I'm going to say like, okay, we're going to put streetlights here, 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 here. Let's put this to a vote. Because these are public meetings, I want to have 20 people from the community in there and they can all testify one after another. I've been asking for this for X number of years. Like this is the only way that things change in government, right? Like they're not going to do it if there's no pressure. And I'm not saying we're going to like burn the house down or anything, but it's like get like face to face and say, look, this is what we need. And we've been asking for it for,
0: you know, this number of years. Yeah. Unacceptable. So, yeah, I mean, that's just the mentality I'm going in. How did you get involved in politics in the first place, Sam? I mean, I heard you say earlier that you were up in Nevada, you know, working for the Bernie Sanders campaign. You are fairly young, so I'm just interested in, were you involved in politics in high school and even before then?
1: I would say, like, if I had to give a timeline, I was first probably inspired by Bernie Sanders in the 2016 race. I think I was very inspired by his message of a brighter future and, you know, more active government. So I I was really into that and I didn't do any like volunteering or anything at that time. But then when, you know, 2020 came around, the 2020 campaign, you know, which started in like probably early 2019, he came back and, and, you know, I I did a lot more work with that. And, you know, when when I came to the University of Alabama, I founded the UA for Bernie club, which was for a time like the biggest the biggest left-wing political organization on campus by far and the most cool. active. And you look, you don't even have to like Bernie Sanders. That, like it's besides the point of this, you know, Joe Biden's president, but I'm always going to, you know, hold that movement in, in my heart because it was what yeah. you know inspired me and, and as uh, you should. Yeah. And, and I guess also like, uh, cause the, the post Bernie activism, cause then COVID started. Right. So that was a thing. I tried to set up a thing called UA Emergency Action Network, which was designed to. I, I wanted all the clubs on campus. They're very separate and and not communicating. So like I wanted like okay, college Dems should really be working with YDSA and the feminist club and the whatever yeah. club, and we should be you know presenting a combined front because y- there's not typically that interorganizational dialogue. Right. So when COVID started, I was like okay. So we have a severe emergency, and I'm sure a lot of kids are struggling, and and we need certain things from the university. So I was like, okay, we're going to present a united front, and we even invited like the Libertarian organization, and they signed on to our plan or whatever. And I think <laughs> Turning Point USA did, which I thought was really
0: bizarre.
1: <laughs> I, don't what, I don't know what they were about, but you know, we presented a, a letter to the university, and unfortunately, you know, partly due to me and partly due to others, it just kind of fell apart because there was just not, because we were all back at, you know, we were, we all got sent, you know, our diaspora back to, you know, where our parents lived. There just wasn't a ton of energy and that kind of fell through. But yeah, I mean, I mean, that's just the type of stuff that, you know, I've I've tried to do. And eventually UA for Bernie turned into our time, which is like our revolution. That's like an organization. And I founded that as well. And one of my favorite things that I did was I did this segment like every week called Radical History in which like I would present a book about a historical figure in, in American politics and you know I would give some kind of a not really a lecture I'm not a professor but
0: like just kind of a discussion with my friends and that was a lot of fun. I think that's great I mean what are some of the reactions that you're getting about your political ideas as you get out into the community are you finding that the sort of big ideas of like government should be working for you and be doing more? Are you finding conflict with some people who think that government should not be doing it? Or is it really just all about the local issues and that sort of goes to the side? When you're talking about an election with a
1: electorate this small, like we're talking about, I would estimate we're going to get maybe like 1,500 votes in this election. 1,500, really? Yeah. So when you're talking about this, I think it really is just about like, they call it like pork in the sense that like, we're going to give you this and then you can Attach my name to this thing we're going to give you. I think it's mostly focused on that. And I think, I think you know, when, when I'm giving my, you know, live streams and talking to you as well, I'm, I'm talking about the, you know, the deeper philosophical aspect of it. But, you know, when I'm knocking on the door, it's mostly that's implied, I guess, yeah. or I'm trying to steer in that direction uh, as to avoid
0: like someone saying like, oh, I, I hate that, you know. <laughs> then let's anchor it back into specifics. So you talk about also something I think is very interesting, which is these empty lots and overgrown lots. And you talk about how one woman says, you know, the tree is growing over into her yard and she shouldn't be responsible for that. What is the process and have you studied or, or or do you know about other places where they were able to buy up lots like this or get in touch with land, with the landowners? What does that process look like? From what I've
1: ascertained, like even in Tuscaloosa, like Walt Maddox and some other folks, a few of the homes, even in Alberta, they just went through hell to track down these owners. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, folks just up and leave and they leave these lots. And also, like, they're a safety hazard, by the way. These empty, abandoned homes that, you know, get broken into and all sorts of hazardous waste and that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it's really a process of tracking down the owners, offering them the market value, and then trying to flip it. And I think also zoning is going to be important as well. Like, I I think our zoning should be a bit more ambitious, like, like, because when we're flipping lots and trying to make the neighborhood better, like, as I was saying, we don't want them to make student housing. You know, in this zoning, it's only going to be people who plan to live in this house, you know, or something like that.
0: Okay. So you, you moved from Michigan to go to UA, right? Mm -hmm. You live in Alberta city. Why did you choose Alberta City? I was just really looking
1: for a place to live, you know? Yeah. My My friend was like, hey, like, why don't you come live with me here in this area? I wanted to be off campus and that sort of thing. I didn't want to, and especially when COVID started, I did not want to be anywhere near campus.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so it was really, it was more of an accidental thing. But I must say, I really do prefer this side of town, I think. I think. It's slower. You know. I, I don't think there's a, as much hustle and bustle. Yeah, and, and, and
0: the folks are super nice, by the way, like. I think what you're doing is fantastic. I wonder what kind of, how, what does your support group look like? I mean, you're, you're really putting yourself out there when you go into politics. I mean, even though you could say the Facebook stuff was mild, really. I mean, it's not horrible what people said about you. But yeah. how do you gird yourself against that sort of public vulnerability that you have now? Do you have a strong support system?
1: Yeah, like, I don't know. If
0: I was really upset, I could talk
1: to my mom or dad anytime. My roommates, probably my best friend, Tristan, who's literally in the other room. And I think also just laughing at it as opposed to letting it get to you, I think. Just fi- finding it, and it's almost a choice. It's like you can, you can either dwell on it or you can find it funny and, you know, kind of let it roll off the back. And yeah, I mean to be honest, no one said like anything super nasty. I still was surprised. I was like, okay, but
0: well, what do you say to people who think you're too young? You're 19, right?
1: Yeah. What and do look, you say? I mean, that's the thing. That, that's one of those things where it's like I can't it, it's really personal to you, right? Like I can't tell you that you should feel like I'm old enough, you know? Like like that, that's just not something I have control over. You know, the only thing I do have control over is that I can assure you that, you know, I'm going to give 100 percent to this campaign. I'm going to give 150 percent. Should I actually be elected? And, you know, I think the stuff I've done in the past and the organizing I've done in the past speaks for itself. I would also say that this campaign is speaking for itself. Like I have knocked on hundreds of doors. I would get up at 6 a.m. for class, go to a class. Then I would drive down to Alberta City, knock on a couple doors, come back for another class, repeat until wow. the sun sets. You know, I mean, like, I'm not joking like this. You know, I'm, I'm taking this seriously. That's great. You can have whatever reservations about my age as you want. And I can't tell you they're wrong. But what I can say is I'm giving it my all. And if that's enough, that's enough.
0: Well, here's what I'd say to that, I was, I was really worked, I was brushing my teeth yesterday, <laughs> and I was just getting, when I'm doing normal little things like that, I get work, I start thinking about things, and I was all worked up about what was happening on Facebook, and I don't even know you. What bugs me is that you're following the rules. Obviously, you're old enough because the rules include you. I mean, you are able to, to follow the paperwork and run. I mean, yes. you, so here we have, again, Sam Badger, 19, living in Alberta City, going to UA, met all the criteria to run for a city council and is doing so. You are old enough. Do live in the right place. You know what I'm saying? So, I just, if you want to switch the rules around when you don't like that someone's running against you, I mean, that's yeah. that's not fair play. Well, if an
1: 18, if an 18 year old couldn't do the job, then why is it legally allowed for an 18 year old to run and stand for a position? You know, like literally, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure what is the age for a congressperson? It's 25.
0: I'm too young to be a congressperson. Yeah. So, you
1: know, I'm too young to be a Senator, but this is a specific job that they have by law said, if you are above this age, you can run. So I filed the paperwork. I'm qualified. I paid my $200 qualifying fee. I'm on the ballot.
0: Thank you. (laughs) What are your aspirations? So let's say, okay, so if you get elected, do you want to stay on? I mean, do you hope that you'll have several terms or do you? Yeah, I think, I think it just depends on how it
1: goes in the sense that like, what are we able to get done? I would want to probably seek at least two terms. You know, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, And then like, if there was a thing where it was like, okay, we've solved several of the problems, but we're kind of getting hung up because we don't have enough influence. Maybe then you're like, okay, maybe we run for mayor or something like that. It depends on the circumstances. Like if we can get stuff done from the council seat, then we get stuff done from the council seat. And the priority is like, I'm not even trying to, you know, because folks have personal ambitions and you can say, I want to be this, I want to be that. But like my responsibility at the end of the day will be for four years to serve the people of the district and make sure that their needs are being met. And I think that takes
0: priority after, oh, do you wanna be a state senator? Do you wanna be a whatever? Oh, absolutely. What I love about your message and when you talk, that's why I've enjoyed watching your Facebook live videos because I don't know if it's because you're a different generation or if it's just, there's something about your online presence. It reminds me a little bit of, of AOC and the fact that she's just willing to just be very natural. You don't sound yeah. like a politician. You go on and you just sort of speak your mind. You're not censoring yourself, right? And you go yeah. from the big ideas to the small ideas and bounce back around. You're not trying to, it's not like you're trying to package yourself. And I believe that you, This I really do believe that you want to work for your community. And that's what we need our public servants to do is to find out what the community wants and needs and work for that. In whatever capacity you're able to do that. So I applaud you for doing it. You feel for him. <laughs> Do I feel brave? I don't know. I I
1: would say. Or crazy. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, they're the same thing, I guess, at the end of the day. But I would say I feel brave when I knock on a rough looking door. You know, (laughs) then I feel brave. But, you know, other than that, you know, I think, I don't know, I'm I'm just trying to do my best. And I think I'm just inspired and, and motivated by the people I meet. And that's just how it goes. Because, I mean, there's only one way out. It's like our entire society is designed to divide us and separate us. And that's like a cliche. Like, you know, folks say that all the time. But it's true. You know, it's designed to tear us apart and make us feel isolated so we don't do anything to make it better. Because there's, you know, vested powers that be that want it to be the same. So the only way you can break it down is to literally go knock on a door and say, hi, I'm Sam. What's
0: your name? I mean, that's that simple. It sounds simple, but it's also, you know, it's it's a big thing. Yeah. One of the reasons I do this podcast is to highlight people who are doing stuff like what you're doing, whether it's political, artistic, whatever. If practically first, what do you have to do to run for city council? What are the steps you have to take? Is it complicated?
1: So it kind of yeah, I mean, I'm somewhat, and that's the problem. Like, this is another thing as well. Why is there a $200 qualifying fee? You're yeah. basically saying that if you don't have $200 of disposable income, then screw you. That's what it's saying. Yeah. That kind of rule. So, you know, you have a $200 qualifying fee, which you have to do to get on the ballot. If you want to raise money, you're going to need a campaign committee, which you have to file with the county as opposed to the city. Like, you pay the qualifying fee to the city, you have to do this campaign committee set up with the county Uh so it's like you see these different paperwork and then you're bouncing all over in these different places and then sometimes like to set up the bank account for the campaign it's like i'm calling the secretary of state's office (laughs) and like i'm like uh how do i set this up and they're like oh we don't know (laughs) <laughs> like, uh, you're the secretary of state office. You, you're supposed to know yeah, this. Hmm. And what, what is the state of campaign finance in Alabama? If like, if like if, Who knows? Yeah, Who I knows? don't know. We need to look at what the hell is going on. But that is, and here's the thing, it's purposely
0: complicated, again, because they don't sure. want people to run. They don't yeah. want it to happen. So but I wonder if there are organizations out there to help people if they want to go through that process. Because that really... All those layers of complications. It's crazy. There are.
1: There, there are organizations, I believe. Forget. There, there are specific names. Like, I know, like, sometimes the Democratic Party will do workshops on that sort of thing. There's a website called Run for Something, I think, that does that. Okay. For this campaign, I literally just, I just looked it up and did it myself. Yeah. And I, called I called as many people as I needed and I don't think they like me at the, the Secretary of State's office <laughs> this,
0: this campaign me. started with pure chutzpah, <laughs> right yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I don't know and it, most of it the paperwork's done now but you know I'm gonna have to keep filing stuff so it'll be it'll be okay I'm just more outraged by the qualifying fee I mean that just seems
0: like it's designed to keep people out. what are the next steps in your campaign then? The vote is on March the 2nd, right? Yeah. So we're
1: going to try to hit every single door in the district if possible. We're, we got some folks, you know, some students and that sort of thing who are young and are eager to get out there and, you know, have good knees. On
0: <laughs> <But, laughs> those roads with potholes, probably.
1: Yes, true. <laughs> we're going to try to do that. We need literature, which is the problem right now. And I ordered some and it's going to be coming on Tuesday. So that should allow us to restart the door knocking. I've just been making signs as well. My sense of like the pulse on the ground is like folks are ready for some kind of change, you because know? yeah. I mean Kim's been in there a long time, nineteen ninety-seven, I believe was his first election.
0: Yeah, I was so. in college, yeah, I remember.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's late nineteen hundreds,
0: <laughs> Sam. Late nineteen hundreds. <1900s. laughs> yeah. Before we go, what are you, aside from politics, what are you, what do you do for fun? You, do you have any personal time? Do you listen to music? Do you play video games? What do you do? I used to play video games more. I really like Halo. I used to be really into Halo. Now I am collect vinyl.
1: Uh, I'm looking oh, at cool. my, my record collection. My, my favorite person to collect is probably Marvin Gaye.
0: Yeah, I love uh, Marvin Gaye.
1: I would hope to get every one of his albums, like his, you know, LPs that came out when he was alive. Elect- I have most of them. I would say my favorite is probably. I really like here, my dear. I really like here, my dear. Yeah, that's a good one. Where do you um, get your vinyl? I well, because in Michigan, right? In Michigan, you have Detroit, and that's like Motown. Oh, yeah, so like you can just go to a variety of places. In Tuscaloosa, there's only really one record store, which is
0: Oz Music. Oz. yeah, I like Oz, which is
1: which is it's a good record store. I like going there. I don't find their soul selection, which is what I mostly collect, to be like hugely expansive. Yeah. But I don't know. I've gotten a couple of decent records there. My roommate works there. So, you know, I, okay. I, I like those guys. And so, yeah, I, I would say collecting vinyl and stuff. I read sometimes as well. I read a lot of like history, biographies of people. So like I have like my Malcolm X that I read Yay. a while ago. I'm reading a book about Henry Wallace, who is the, the vice president under FDR. Yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> I love
0: nonfiction. I'm reading a, a book by Jill Lepore right now. She's the one who wrote, she wrote this great book about the history of Wonder Woman, but she's a historian, really? a U.S. historian. Yeah. That was sort of a fun book, very well researched. I can't remember what it's called. I'm reading a book by her right now called New York Burning. And it's about, I I did not know about this, a slave insurrection in New York. And I think it was in the early 1700s, like 1719, 1720. Big trial. It was almost like a second witch hunt in a way. And a lot of these folks were killed executed or whatever i'm just starting the book but she's a really good writer a really good historian she always makes it very she she definitely uh relies on primary sources but she tells a story while she's doing it
1: and it's yeah. really good i like her when i was younger i used to read more fiction and stuff which i i you know hold dear but yeah nowadays that's what i'm doing
0: but Well, it's been really good talking to you. I appreciate you doing this. I wish you all the best, Sam. I really mean that. I think what you're doing is amazing. I'm very proud of you and and humbled by what you do and and inspired by what you do as well. So thank Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. That means the world.
0: Where You Are was created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. Our intro is Small Piano from the Ant Hill album by Patricia Taxon. All music was used with permission. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution for which I have ever worked or will ever work. Thanks for listening. Have a nice day wherever you are.